Welcome into the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of 12 Media Network. This is Season 1, Episode 8. We are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. Of course, I'm your host, Joshua Perry. I'm out here chilling with my co-host, my guy, Christian Hackenberg. How are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. I think I'm a little bit better than you, though. I'm, I'm, I'm back home, cozy, where, <laughs> where, where I want to be. Yeah. You're up in what, I'm, Madison right now? Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, there's, there's a slight bit of chill in the air too compared to Columbus. It's it's unseasonably warm at home right now. So this is why I got the feel like the same sweatshirt I wear every damn week. But that's why I got the sweatshirt on. Um yeah, I mean this past weekend we got some really good football games. Obviously the marquee game was the Iowa Penn State. I think it lived up to the hype just in terms of some of the drama in the final score. Um, if you're a Penn State fan, you probably got a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth because of the, the Clifford injury. That was a really good one. And then, heck, the other one that we kind of predicted that was a little bit off the board was that Michigan-Nebraska. That ended up being a really, really good second half. Yeah, I mean, that was a great game. I, I, I'm i going to give you more credit than me. I mean, I, I kind of had it circled, but I hadn't been paying as much attention to Nebraska as I think you have. And you were right. I mean, that offense is starting to click a little bit defensively they're doing enough to challenge teams so and I only think that's going to keep getting better and better and you know we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that more later on I don't want to I don't want to burn it yet but that was exciting and, and good to see for sure for sure so let's recap some of the scores here and then we'll get into our deep dive into some of last week's game so uh scores for you we had Michigan State 31 Rutgers 13 uh we had Ohio State absolutely pummeling Maryland 66 to 17 Wisconsin getting back on track against Illinois they blanked them it was 24 to 0 obviously that Iowa and Penn State 23 to 20 and that's a game that we're going to do a real deep dive into and then the night cap it was Michigan beating Nebraska 32 to 29 as we look at the AP poll here for the first time in the history of the conference, we have five Big Ten teams in the top 10 of the AP poll, starting off with Iowa at number two, Ohio State at six, Penn State seven, Michigan eight, Michigan State 10. Um, you said this, I've said this. As you look at this, the Big Ten East is going to be an absolute meat grinder. And you sent me the schedule for kind of some of the remaining big matchups. Are you want to go over that real quick? Yeah, I mean, I think it October 30th, you have Penn State at Ohio State. The same day, you have Michigan at Michigan State. November 13th, you have Michigan at Penn State, which always is a game. Yeah. November 20th, you have Michigan at Ohio State. We all know how that one, how that one's been traditionally, but I think that's going to be a little bit different this year. And then on November 27th, to round it out, you have Ohio State at Michigan State at Ohio State. Sorry, it was November 20th. 27th is Michigan at Ohio State or Ohio State at Michigan. And then November 27th is Penn State at Michigan State. So a lot of it, a lot of Michigan's in there. But um that's uh that's that's interesting. I mean, that's the back half of the year loaded like that. I don't think the Big Ten's seen that in years. No, I mean it hasn't it hasn't been like that in a little while. And I think it's really that that October 30th weekend that I think is going to shed a ton of light on what's going on in the conference. You got Ohio State and Penn State, obviously, in that one, which I think is a game that people had circled at the beginning of the year anyway. And yeah. depending on if Sean Clifford can get back and healthy, that's going to be a hell of a game. And then you've got a rivalry, a traditional rivalry with Michigan going to Michigan State. And Mel Tucker is just one of those guys who's like super on top of stuff, gets on his team. And the way that Harbaugh's coaching right now, I know he's going to have his guys motivated and fired up for that one. So I, I think just even in a couple of weeks, it's going to be really exciting and then you you talked about what goes on in November. It's going to be crazy, man. Yeah, it's it, you know I think that's what us as Big Ten fans have been waiting for this. And yes. um, I, I just think it's really again, it's just we talk about this week in week out, but it's so good for the conference. I think it's so good for college football to have somebody outside of the SEC with a super competitive in conference 
in division uh, yeah. a schedule. So it, it's I think it's going to really separate the boys from the from the from the men. Yeah, and uh, and put put someone in the position if they survive that to really make a run in the college football playoff this year. Yeah, and to me, it's not even like somebody just outside of the SEC. It's the fact that Bama's got a loss to an unranked team, you sure. know, and it, it's the fact that it's not just Ohio State in the conversation or even Penn State yeah. has had success recently. We're talking about Iowa as a leader of the pack at this point. And then you've got Michigan looking like what it traditionally should look like in Michigan State taking a huge step. Um, nobody thought they were going to be in this position. Like, that's the really cool part about it. Yeah, I mean, that we talked about it in the preseason preview. I mean, Michigan State was at the bottom of your list. I still yeah, they were in the a little bit of love, but yeah. they, but to your point, it was just a massive leap. And I don't think anyone's seen it. And they're getting so much production from so many different guys right now. Yeah. At least offensively, they got the weapons. And then you just always, you always can't discount or discredit the fact that they're going to have guys on the defensive side of the ball that are going to fly around and play a tough, physical yeah. brand of football yeah and well I'll, I'll go over a couple of those guys that you were talking about for them since we're not really recapping their game because it wasn't necessarily yeah. a big one but like Kenneth Walker right goes for 233 and a touchdown he, he, he had the longest play from scrimmage in school history and yeah. the way that he made guys miss on that play but there was another one that a lot of people didn't see but he made an all big 10 linebacker miss in the hole Shook him in the hole. People can't do that. Running yeah. backs do not do that. He's, he is ridiculous. He's, he's got such a it, – it's weird. When you watch him run, he has a Le'Veon Bell feel to him. Yeah. But he has – it almost feels like he has an extra gear that Le'Veon yeah. didn't have. Yeah, and he can just run away from people. And he's yeah. – it, it, you know, and to your point, making a guy miss in the hole, like you have to have some fast twitch, stop going ability. <laughs> and – He's he's got it, but he's also got that patience that you that you see when you watch Le'Veon run, and he kind of runs similar to him, and it's cool seeing him. Play. I mean, he's been a really fun back to watch this year. I agree, he absolutely has. Right, and then you go over to their wide receivers, and the guy who it's been for a lot of the game so far is Jaden Reed, who's transferred in. He's a really good player, but Jalen Naylor said, "Nah, he's not the only one that can catch the football mm -hmm. on this offense." He had three passes of sixty yards or more went for 221 and three touchdowns. And most of his production, if not all of it, was in the first half of that game against Rutgers. So now you've got Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed as legit threats in the pass game. And you've got Kenneth Walker, who is a legit Heisman contender, right, in the run game. And I'm sitting here as a guy who played on defense. What, what, what the hell am I supposed to do, coach? Like, how are we going to stop these guys? I mean, we talked about it though, man. Like, if you can, if you can, if you can establish a physical brand of, of of football at the line of scrimmage and with a running game, it opens up so many doors for you down the field. And you now that you have two guys who can separate. I mean, they can flat out separate they against can. anything. <laughs> and when you give them a run game that they can then create, you know, lazy eyes in the backfield and guys yep. get three or four steps out of place. I mean, that's only going to create more and more separation. And yep. That's a very, very scary thing, like you're saying, as a defensive guy. And offensively, I just – I love watching it because it's just yeah. got – so they have, they have such a flow. It's, it's like watching a really, really good boxer. It's just, you know, we're going to pound it here, pound it here, and then we're going to take it over up top on you. Um, and they did that in a really creative way and, you know, eventually just ran away from Rutgers, uh, yeah. especially in that second half. So um, it was – they're, they're going to be fun to watch, especially yeah. – this year, but then moving forward, I really think Mel's got that thing going in the right direction. So I said this, and um, some people kind of looked at me with a little bit of But I think that this is the team that people need to have their worries about, right? I think for if, you know, Ohio State is is going to open people's eyes because of what they can do offensively, right? But I think that their defense is still gettable. They're just – they're coming along. They're not quite there yet. But I think this Michigan State team, the way that Peyton Thorne has been playing and the weapons that they have on offense, it really does kind of remind me of what Ohio State is doing in a way because they can move the ball and they can put up yards and eventually they can score points. 
And so if I'm Ohio State, if I'm Michigan, if I'm Penn State, this is a team that probably gives me some heartburn. Like, you know, you got to worry about everybody else. But depending on what this offense is really clicking like, it, it almost gives you that they can be nearly as explosive as Ohio State if you let them type by. To me, they're even more scary than any of those guys because they entered this season with zero expectations. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think Mel preaches that week in, week out, right? Yeah. So they have absolutely nothing to lose. I mean, if they went out and lost the rest of the, the, the games this year, I don't think any – I mean, everyone would be like, oh, that was kind of a letdown. But at the same time, they, they had no expectations to even be competitive this year. So, so Mel, Mel talked that's about what makes in the scary. press conference how he was he was putting up the stat sheet from last year's games as kind of a revenge factor. Yeah. Bro, like nobody even – like a coach would never admit to the media that they're thinking about revenge. And yeah. Mel's that guy. So, like, when he – if he doesn't have the revenge aspect, you're 100% right. He's going to use the, well, nobody thinks we, we're worth a damn aspect, even though people are talking about them like they're worth a damn. He's, he's, yeah. He is Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady when it comes to the motivation. Yeah, he, he digs he digs deep and he really he attacks those things that I wouldn't say every player is wired that way, but every player responds. No yes. matter who you are, they, they're, they're responsive to that. Then yeah. Some guys are like, you know, hey, I don't play with a chip on my shoulder. I just go play the game. But at the same time, if you start showing some things and you yeah. start digging in those little personal attacks, even though they may not seem personal on the surface, Every every single football player on your team will respond to that. That's a hell of a way to put it. Not everybody's wired that way, but everybody will respond. I love that. Um, all right, let's get into our deep dive kind of review of, of a couple of these games from the weekend. We'll start with that uh, that Iowa-Penn State um, wonderful game there. So let me throw this out here. Is I think that – Iowa's defense is as advertised, right? They, they turn Penn State over. And part of it, I think, like, you know, Roberson's, he, he struggles. Um, but the other part of that, if, if we're being totally open and honest with ourselves, is Clifford turned the ball over when he was in the game, too. Um, yep. Those Iowa defensive backs, they're back there running routes like they're wide receivers. Um, and it, it really makes a difference in the game because you start to look at the average drive starts between the teams, and Iowa did a really good job in the special teams game, and Torrey Taylor punting the ball was really good. But, you know, Iowa's – they're starting in great field position. Um, of their own 40 was their average field position, which is absolutely wild, versus Penn State, which is their own 21. Um, yeah. Not nearly as good. So I think that's a difference in the game. but. I'll also say that Sean Clifford was moving the football. And I talked about this idea that you could throw the ball on Iowa secondary. Now, whether they'd be able to take the football away was a different conversation, but you could get plays. And Clifford had their only explosive passes of the day. And they were all in like the second quarter, you know, take a couple shots, whatever the case was. Um, That was the element that was missing. And if you're a Penn State fan, you're probably asking the question, what happens if he can finish out the game? I don't necessarily love that question. He was on pace for 300 yards passing. He's also on pace for throwing four interceptions, so we won't know that. But um, there, there is a night and day difference between Roberson running that offense and Cliff running it. I, I completely agree. And I think um, – I, I do I do understand and I sympathize with those Penn State people who 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 sit there and say if Cliff if Cliff is finishing that game I think it's a completely different outlook and to me I I also was watching it and I felt the same way um, yeah the first interception he just tried to try to force something it's a bad but play. again yeah bad play but again for me that goes back to I only got three points out of that and they were on yep. their own they they got the ball <laughs> yep. to the yard line so. Then Cliff kind of settles in, and I think he really he, – you saw the difference in, in philosophy with Clifford because he started making his plays between the numbers. And that's something yeah. that I've talked about is in order to get those safeties out of it, you have to start making plays between the numbers and forcing them to want to come in. He completed that big ball to Parker Washington across the middle that got everything yeah. going. I think that was even on third down. So 
older quarterbacks have that feel of what that feels like because that picture is scary. You can't mm-hmm. always see what's in front of things. You can't always feel. You have to have a you have to have an understanding and a, and a, and reps at at throwing balls into space and throwing balls into holes sure. in the zone. Because again, they do play. They they that's what they do. They play quarters or they'll bring a guy down to yeah. play three and they may, might bring a Mike Fire or Sam Fire or something like that. Um, his second interception, they tried to run an in and go, which is a classic quarter feeder. I yeah. thought he left the ball inside. I think if he leaves it outside a little bit, Dotson has a chance to make a play on it because he yeah. did beat the corner. But I think to your point, and I think Phil Parker needs a huge tip of the cap, the, yeah, way, that, the way that those DBs play the football. They don't necessarily hmm. even play the – they don't play the receivers they anymore. They just track the ball and they go. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen the team do that. And I don't know if he saw something in those guys or not. But I thought that's really impressive. So I'll jump in on that. Is they have yeah. been for the last four years extremely good at taking the football away. I think in the last four years they have the most interceptions in FBS in that window. Um, yeah. There might be a stat, might not be the stat, but it's something crazy like that. But Phil Parker is where he's different than a lot of defensive coaches. Is a lot of guys are well, you know, make sure you just play the guy. You know, you don't want to lose a man. So if you're not sure, just play the man. Don't try to find the ball. Make sure you're in phase, this, that, and the third. And he's literally got it down to where those guys don't give a damn, like you said, about the wide receiver. And I got to make sure I'm in phase. I got to make sure I'm playing them. Those dudes are out there saying the ball is mine, just the same way it's up there for the wide receiver. And that is a mentality. People always ask, can you coach turnovers? Or is it something that just kind of ebbs and flows? I'm a big believer that you can coach it. And he's yeah. coaching the hell out of it right now. He's doing a great job. And I think the scheme plays really well into him because he doesn't, he never puts those guys in bad positions because they play very sound. They play quarters. They know their, they know their assignment. They know their alignments and they know when they can get away with things and when they can't. So now kind of circling back and just touching it off. You know, like I said, I think losing Clifford was huge because when Roberson got in there, he struggled. Um, he even threw that post to Jahan. He left that outside. Yeah, and that, that turned that turned into another turnover. Um, and really, realistically speaking, I think when you have an older guy and you get pinned back inside your own 10 as many times as Penn State did, a lot of, you know, the, the old football handbook is, is you try to move the sticks twice. You move the sticks right. twice, you flip the field, you force yeah. them to drive, and then it gets everything going. Penn State could not get out of that. They could not get out of that. And the only drive they really moved the ball past, you know, their own 25 in that, in that situation was the drive that Roberson – through the swing pass on the fourth down and they got the into the trap too. And they ended up, you know, not getting it. So yeah. it was just a really frustrating game to watch once Cliff was out. And I think you really see now as Penn state, as Penn state fans, how big of a factor Sean Clifford is within that offense. Yep. And hopefully, hopefully he can get back out there, you know, have a bye week, get, get himself healthy and get back out there for this finisher. Otherwise it could get ugly fast for Penn state. Um, yeah. And, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I was just saying, it can get real ugly fast for Penn State. I thought the defense played great. I thought, um, you know, they held, a, they held a, a relatively explosive team with great field position with 23 points. Yep. Um, and, you know, like I said, I, I just – I want to give Iowa a ton of credit, but at the same time, I just – it just sucked because I, I think we didn't get to see the full – the full attack of Penn state, which I think would have been a much different game because they were really running away with it. I mean, I, I really, I really think that they had a chance to to run away with it there. If Clifford just kept playing, playing the game and attacking it the way he did um, and see if Iowa could keep up, which is what we talked yeah. about. And it ended up not being a track meet. It ended up being an Iowa controlling the controlling yeah. the field position game, controlling the time yep. of possession yep. and playing into their brand of football. Yeah. They had that exactly where they wanted it. It's uh, it was always important that Clifford would play well, right? Because yeah. I, I think I might've said this coming out of training camp, but like Cliff was still becoming who he has been these last few weeks at that point. But yeah. Roberson was, he looked like a young quarterback, which is not something that you necessarily want to look like. Um, so it was always important that Cliff played well. And now we're seeing the importance of his health to this team. But you yeah. mentioned the Penn State defense. And we were sitting watching this game in the green room. And then we had to do a freaking show while this game was still on Fox. So like, you know, we're, we're trying to, during the commercial breaks, we're trying to watch it in the studio, neither here nor there. I feel like I always miss something in real time, Uh, (laughs) but we're sitting there watching it. 
And we're saying that we felt like Penn State always had a chance to win the football game because of how well the defense had played. And it really wasn't until extremely late in the game where you felt like the the defense was just kind of, you know, it was the moment. I won't say the moment. The task was too big having to go out there every single drive with terrible starting field position as a defender and knowing that you have to win the game because your offense can't do piss. Like that's, it, it just weighs on you. And then Iowa comes out with the schemed up plays to take advantage yeah. of coverage and take a couple of shots down the field. I mean, they had big passes of 42 and 44 in the fourth quarter. They hadn't done that all game long. Yep. Like that's, that's really tough. Um, I think that this Penn state defense is extremely good. I think it's athletic. It's fast. It's a bunch of guys who give a damn. They had a couple players go down that side of the ball as well, which is, um, you know, just it, yeah. it stinks. But um, I said this about both teams after the game, specifically about Iowa, but about Penn State, if they're fully healthy, is I think both of these teams can contend this year. I think both of them are college football playoff caliber teams. And I think what we saw, we've seen over the college football season, but specifically what we saw last week with Alabama getting beat by an unranked team and BYU falls out of the top 10 is in, anybody can compete this year. And yeah. I think these two teams specifically are every bit as good Penn state when they're fully healthy, Iowa as it is right now to compete, not yep. saying that they will win a national title, but they could get in that show and they could compete with anybody. I agree. And I think we may even get, you know, it, it may play out where we get a rematch, you know, in, in Indianapolis. So it, it would be, it would be cool to see. And to your point, I really think the only team right now that has shown how good they really, really are is Georgia. And agreed. I think Georgia is unbelievable this year. Yeah. Um, especially defensively. I mean, they're just, I think they're leaps and bounds above everybody in, in that, in that ball, in that arena. So to your point though, I think Penn state and Iowa are two teams that are built, right. They know who they are and when they're healthy can go out, can go out and, and play with anybody. So, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens and hopefully Penn state can get those guys back on the field as soon as possible and really make a run at it because, you know, we talked about earlier, they got, they got a buzzsaw coming down the pipe here um, and, and they're not the only ones. So we'll see what happens. We definitely will. Let's get into this uh, Michigan at Nebraska and uh, talked about this on our previews last week. I thought this was going to be a really good game um, because of the way that Nebraska had played against Oklahoma and how they played against Michigan State and how Michigan up on, to this point has, has not had a great challenge um, and an opponent. And this game lived up to the billing, for me at least where, yeah. um, you know, it's it's coming down to the last couple minutes of the game and Nebraska climbs its way out of a hole it dug for itself. And, you know, Michigan's got to find ways to beat a team again. Um, I think it's awesome. And this is a game, and Cade McNamara said this in his post-game interview with Molly McGrath, but he says this is a game that typically we would lose. And they ended up winning it, going on the road in a night game where things start going bad in the second half. Typically, that's a loss, and they yeah. found, found a way to win. Um, Michigan, two things that stand out to me about their offense is that running attack with Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, I think it is wild what they each of them can bring to the offense at different times with Blake being explosive and, you know, very elusive and Hassan just being hard to take down. Yep. And then the tight end room. And you can speak to being a quarterback with tight ends that can make plays and catch the football, what that does. But as a defender, those are some of the hardest matchups, especially guys that can block in line as well. Like we yeah. knew what the wide receiver types were going to do, but they've got guys who they expect to line up in line and be blockers that can also get out. And they can do the, the, you know, delays and they can do the block flats and it's just tough. Yeah. They're like, they're like having stretch fours in basketball. Guys who can yeah. run, who can post you up, who can play on the perimeter, and they create mismatches. I think you you hit the nail on the head. You know, do, are you gonna are you gonna dedicate a linebacker to try and cover this guy in coverage all game, or are you gonna rotate a safety down and take some help out from the back end, especially if you have some playmakers on the outside? So they really can create a lot of mismatches, and if you use them strategically, 
they create those advantages in the run game as well as the pass game. Um, to your point, being able to block if they have any type of will to do so, um, you know, you have you have the ability to create space with that. So uh, I think I think to your point, Michigan, Michigan has a really good understanding of who they are. I think this was exactly what Cade said, a, a, a game where Michigan is 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 getting calluses. They're starting to put calluses on their palms and and traditionally a game they would lose. They came out and figured out a way to get it done. You know, I think on the flip side, and uh, I think you mentioned this in the notes too when we were talking throughout the week, is Nebraska played great. And I think Adrian played fantastic up until that, that you know, what was that Boy. third or fourth down, three-yard run, and he's, he's, he's fighting yeah, for an extra two or three down. yards. And, yeah. and the ball gets ripped out of his hand. And that, that, was, that, was, that was the killer for them. And I think, um, I think moving forward – Again, I, I said this last week, Nebraska can't have any more moral victories, but weirdly <laughs> enough, weirdly enough, uh, they figured out a way how to make this a moral victory. And they're still in it. You know, they're still yeah. in it in the West. Um, as weird as that sounds, I think they're still in it in the West and they can really they can really make a run at things. So yeah. we'll see what happens. They need some help. But um, I thought I thought, again, it was good. It was, it was a great game for the conference. It showed some strength and some depth. And. Um, you know, again, it, it gave Michigan an opportunity to to put put something on their resume that that meant something up until this point, which they haven't really had. Yeah. And I think the stat for Martinez is 18 lost fumbles in his career. Um, that's been the the Achilles heel for that guy yeah. is in in it seems like it's just at the worst time in the game where he turns the football over. I feel so freaking bad for him because he is, he is that offense and mm -hmm. everything that goes well on that offense is because of him. But sometimes the things that go bad are also because of him. And, and I feel like he doesn't get the recognition he deserves in comparison to the criticism that he gets at times. Um, yeah. So let's talk a couple of things about Michigan real quick. Um, number one, second halves have been, their bugaboo this year. And I was talking to a Michigan reporter earlier in the week, and she told me the breakdown between first half points given up versus second half points. And it's something really wild, like 14 points they've given up on the season in the first half of games. And in the second half, it's, you know, like, you know, 70 yeah. some odd points, whatever the number is. Yeah. Anyway, um, we saw this really come to light against Rutgers where they were able to get back into that game. And that became um, probably way more uncomfortable than Wolverines would have liked to have seen. And then in this game against Nebraska, Nebraska's all 29 of their points came in the second half of the game. Um, like, is this a mentality? Is this a guys getting worn down by the end of the game is like, what do you see typically in teams that are one thing in the first half and something completely different in the second. I, I feel that it's a combination of a few things. I think it's a combination of being content. And then I'm not going to say it's lackadaisical at halftime, but I feel like really good football teams, whether they're winning or losing, make great halftime adjustments. It's a, it's yeah. a great it's a great time to go in, collect. You have a bunch of data. You have so many eyes on it now with yeah. the GAs and people in the box. You can see how people are trying to take advantage of you or exploit you, and you can see what you've been doing well. And I think that that, that great teams really still do a lot of self-reflection at halftime, even if they even if they are up 20-0 or 13-0 or whatever at halftime. They still do right. the adjustments to figure out a, a, a new way to attack because – all these guys get paid money to watch film. All these guys know football and all these guys are going to figure out ways how to scheme things up. If you have some semblance of talent to be able to do so. So I think it's kind of a combination of maybe Michigan gets a little content, doesn't have that kill in them yet, that, that step on the throat and finish them. Yeah. Um, and I think it might also be that they give teams because they might from a schematic standpoint, just be content with what they're doing. They give teams the opportunity to have four quarters, like, well, this is who they are. This is what yeah. they're doing. They haven't changed anything. So Boy. let's just keep let's just keep attacking it. You know what I mean? So that I think that might be the point. And yeah. uh, I said this to um, one of my close friends who's a Michigan fan on Sunday. Um, 
but that was the point that I made is they've got a defensive coordinator who's calling plays for the first time in his career. Um, and they're very, their personnel is very good. And I think they are who they are as a defense. So are they now in the second half more of an open book in terms of offensive scheme? Because Nebraska comes out, in my opinion, and they scheme their way through the third quarter. Yeah. In the fourth quarter, it felt like they might have run out of some of those like truly schemed up plays. But, you know, they, on the first drive of the third quarter, they hit a 46 yard pass off of pure scheme. Mm-hmm. You know, like those are the types of things that you see. And that's that's where I lean into that idea is. And we used to do this uh, when I was in the league, but we would have a. uh first half scheme kind of game plan idea of what we're going to be defensively. And then the second half for like, you know, the, the first eight plays, we would be something just different. So the offense couldn't come out and run all the shit that they drew up in the locker room. Yeah. You know, is that a situation where it's not even changing up who you are maybe, but like you got, you got somebody who's on the offensive side who says, okay, these are the things I think they're going to run based off of what we've been doing. So these are the adjustments that you guys should make. It's the cat and mouse. And I think Michigan is talented enough to be, be something else for a series for, for, you know, two series, whatever it is, and not hurt themselves, not put them in super vulnerable situations where you don't think that those guys can do it. You know what I mean? Um, And I, I, I think that's growth. I think that's growth as a, as a play caller. And um, I think you just have to keep doing it. You have to be put in yeah. those situations and, and you have to have, you have to have the sack to be able to go do it. Honestly. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You have to be able to say, all right, you know, this is who I am and everyone has their blankies. Everyone has their, their thumb and their binkies that they go back to both offensively and defensively. But um, having the ability to, look at yourself and say, this is what I've been doing. Well, well, let me, let me do something that I feel comfortable enough putting these guys in that situation, but it's completely different. And what it's going to do is it's going to slow down thought process and you only have so much time and so many opportunities offensively to be able to exploit things. If you have something mix you up and you don't as an offense have an identity that's like, okay, I can just go back to this and this is what we do. And it's good versus everything. I know these kids can execute it versus everything because we worked on it all spring or all camp or whatever. Um, You don't have that it slows it down and it gives you an advantage defensively because now you're like, all right, we just threw a monkey wrench in the thing. Now we can go back to what I like to do. And now right. you got the guy scrambling. And I think that's really, I think it's interesting and it's always that cat and mouse. And I love that's, that's what I love about football is the mental side of it. And um, I think you bring up great points for Michigan and we'll, we'll see what happens. It'll be, it'll be a cool maturity path for the defensive coordinator up there and, and how they, how they attack things moving forward. Yeah, and Michigan is on a bye week this week, so they've got every opportunity to kind of try those new things and really do the self-scout and the self-study yep. to figure out exactly what changes they need to make. So I think this is coming at a perfect time. And the fact of the matter is, as I watch this team, it's a, a veteran quarterback who does not make mistakes, a really good rushing attack, good offensive line, really good tight end play, in a defense full of athletes that I think are really confident and believing in themselves right now. This is a dangerous football team, and I, it's going to be tough for them in the end playing in the East like it is for everybody else. But I, I can't wait to watch these guys because I want to see what this team takes shape like. Is this going to be the team that folks thought it was at the beginning of the year that was unranked and you had questions about? Or does this become a team that really opens some eyes, which I think it truly can, and upset some people over there in the East? Yeah, I agree. We'll see what happens. Let me tell you about our sponsors over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up yet, Bet Rivers is offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart from everyone else is that they require just one playthrough to turn that bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawals are not only fast, they are safe, secure, and reliable. Go to betrivers.com today or download the Bet Rivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. All right, let's uh, get on to our big thoughts this week, since it's kind of the midpoint 
of the year, I wanted to do some mid-season awards, just go through some guys that we think are really balling out, deserve some recognition after uh, six weeks of play here. So for our offensive player of the year, mid-season award, who you got? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it between two guys, and obviously one guy is gonna depend on the the latter half of the season. I think Kenneth Walker the third is is you can't keep him out of it. I think he's been such an integral part of that program up there, and and his play has been fantastic. And then my other one is Clifford. I think if Clifford can come back healthy and and lead these guys through this back half of the season, it it's gonna be really hard to discredit him if he can lead them, win out go win a big 10 championship and then go play in a college football playoff. It's going to be really hard not to give the guy that because that's, that's, that's a tough schedule. And as we saw that offense goes as cliff goes. Yeah. Um, I agree with that on cliff. He would be, if like, if there was a true MVP award, I think he's that guy. He is most valuable to his team. Um, And we saw that in their game. You talked about Kenneth Walker. Um, they need to start a legit Heisman campaign for, for him right now. Um, 100%. 152 yards a game rushing, nine rushing touchdowns. Um, he's got an average of seven a carry. And when I watch him, it's a hold your breath type situation because yeah. you don't know if he's going to truck stick a dude and take it the distance. You don't know if he's going to shake a dude out of shoes and take it the distance. Um, I think he is really, really good. But the guy who I kind of want to go to, and he's a little bit off the board, but I think that he deserves a lot of praise for what he's done this year, is the quarterback in East Lansing, in Peyton Thorne. Here's a guy who is averaging 10 yards in attempt. He's got 14 touchdowns on the season against two interceptions. Um, He's throwing for about 260 a game. Uh, he's completing a really good amount of his passes, 62% of them. Um, I think that that is another situation where if they didn't get the quarterback figured out, that offense would be trash because their quarterback play last year was abysmal. Like it was not good. Um, and he has done a great job of understanding the identity of the offense of distributing the ball to the playmakers of taking the ball when he needs to as well of being accurate and taking care of the football. Like he's done all the things right and nobody expected him to be this good. Yeah. And I think, you know, people, people sit there and scoff at 62%, but with, with their philosophy offensively, like you said, he's averaging 10 yards attempt. Like he's not, he's not throwing bubble screens and hitches and, and right. getting jet sweeps <laughs> and handing it off and boosting his, I mean, he's throwing yeah. a legit 62, uh, 62% at like, pushing yes. the ball down, down the field. field and that's that's what he has to do and that's kind of what mel tucker has always done even and even when you look back at colorado his quarterbacks pushed the ball down the field they weren't you know dink and dunk and let's just nickel and dime them they were like listen we're gonna we're gonna figure out a way to establish a run you guys are gonna attack it's it's yeah. almost like that bruce arians type feel and um he as long as he keeps playing i i could completely see that and if they they happen to knock a couple of these guys off the Michigan, the Michigan state, the, the Penn state, the Ohio state, if they, if they knock a couple of those guys off, he puts himself right in there. He plays well. I completely agree with that. Yeah. That, and I think that'd be one of the things for him is, you know, the, the table set for him. If he can go out there and, and he can be disruptive as a quarterback in those games, I think the conversation really heats up. Um, switch it over to defense. Who do you got for the defensive side of the ball? So we just found out that Riley's apparently out for a little bit, but Riley Moss is my guy. I think he's he's just been playing so well. He he's has. a ball hawk. Um, I think he's a he's a staple for that for that defense uh, leader. Um, so he's my guy. Uh, you know, and obviously it's going to change depending upon if he can get back out there or not, and and how quickly that happens. But that's that's a guy I want to I want to highlight and give a lot of credit to. No, I think point. he's. Doing a hell of a job. Um, difference maker would, would just yeah. be the, the word flat out there. On my side, I'm going a little bit off the board again. And this is a guy who I respect the hell out of because he's not on a great football team. It's not a flashy brand. Um, he's got a, a good player on the interior of his defensive line, but there's not another end that anybody's devoting resources to on his yeah. team. It's George Karloftis. And – 
Um, I met him over the summer. He's definitely a football guy. Like he uh, just, he gets excited. Like, ah, man, you know, like he'll be a great coach one day if he wants to do that. Um, but I watched game tape of him in multiple games. And this dude is at minimum getting double teamed against Notre Dame. They devoted so many resources to blocking him. It was ridiculous. Like it absolutely blew my mind. And the crazy part about it was he was beating double teams. And yeah. there was, there was one play where there were like four different guys that hit him at one point. It's absolutely nuts. And you can look at stats for something like this, or you can watch football games. And I think watching the games would lead you to believe that he's the best defensive player in this conference because people go to any length to make sure that he can't make the football play, right? Now, another guy who is really good and, but he has the benefit of being around other good players is Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Um, he's a game record type, plays hard, motor, the whole deal. His benefit is he's got David Ojabo on the other side of that defensive line. So that's where I gave the edge to George Karloftis is this man's got to eat on his own every single time, and he's still killing the game. I think you bring up like the most interesting point and it's so hard because of how much media has gotten into all of these things across college football. But when you have football guys sit there and turn on the game and turn on the tape, they notice things, they watch things a little bit different. And those points that you made for anyone listening right now, like those are great points to expand upon your knowledge, whether you played, whether you didn't play, whether you just watch, like, don't, don't listen to the talking heads, like go in there and, and evaluate it yourself. Right. Like yes. when, when you watch certain guys play, they may not have the stats, they may not have the, the team around them, but certain guys always figure out a way how to play outplay their circumstances really yeah. is what it comes down to. And those guys need a lot of recognition. And that, the funny thing is, though, is the game, the, you know, the ball doesn't lie. The game always gives back. Like, that guy's probably going to go on and have a hell of, an, of a professional career if he stays healthy and, yeah, and all that stuff. But, but those guys need some recognition, and you got to be able to see the depth of the conference um, as a voter for those, for those certain things because it's just when guys overcome that, it's, it's fun to watch. It is. Like, that is – that's the thing that stands out to me is – the dude plays as hard as anybody in the conference and he's beating people, even though they're trying to block him with two and he's not playing. I don't think for as much in terms of the team as other guys are Yeah, like that, that always stands out to me in this day and age of football where he probably could have gone out there for the first three games, bought out and then said, you know what, I'm going to focus on myself. But he is out there getting just hammered every game for the love of it. Because yep. he ain't getting the stats right now. But he's, he's making sound. a difference, though, because his buddies yeah. are getting the stats. Yeah, he's playing you know, sound. That's, yeah. yeah, and that's yeah. that's always a difference maker. Um, yeah. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk about that guy at Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson, though, because the dude is fucking right. balling. But yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I watch yeah. his speed off the edge. And then when he doesn't make the play, the thing that stands out to me is he pursues the ball. With intensity. Never shuts off. Never shuts off. Never. Yeah. And he celebrates his teammates, which yeah. I think is big because a lot of guys don't do that stuff anymore. So yeah. those are my two guys. Um, freshman. Who you got? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the Ohio State backfield. I think it's yeah. Stroud and Travion. Um, and I don't even think it's close. Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see whoever. We'll see whoever pulls that out. But yeah, I think it's pretty open and shut. Uh, yeah. On that. I mean, what does CJ got like, uh, you know, 800 yards passing and 10 touchdowns in the last two games, last two weeks. Yeah. You know, Henderson's yeah, I mean, going out there is 102 rushing and then uh, he's going to turn around and, and, and have 67 in the past game as well. Yeah. They're, they're, they're both great. They're going to be fun to watch for the next couple of years. And they're really going to, they're going to drive that ship. You know, it's yeah. offensively, it's going to be on their back for the next, next few years, as long as they're in town. You want you want the stat on those two guys? I mean, shoot, dude, you're the stat guy. So yeah, Big coming. Ten Freshman of the Week honors have gone to C.J. Stroud or Travion Henderson 
every single week. Every week, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's sad yeah. on that. <laughs> Something yeah. to done, show. done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's get into this coach of the year because I think there's there's one guy who's clear cut. There's another guy who we absolutely need to talk about though. So yeah, and I, here's my thing. I think this this award in the Big Ten if things keep playing out the way I think they're going to play out, it's going to be a fun race. You know, you got yeah. Shiano, um, yeah. you got Bielema up there having, having an yeah. opportunity again. Um, but right now for me, it's Mel Tucker. Um, the job he's done, the way he's motivated those guys, the way that they're playing, like we talked about, nobody had them anywhere in the stratosphere of where they're at right now in terms of competing and, and playing and the product they put on the field. And he just does a great job of motivating them. I think he's done a great job of establishing his expectations and his brand that he brought to that program, which is tough to do coming off of D'Antonio, who has been there so long and people are so used to it. I think he did a great job of kind of blending the two, um, giving the people what they want, but also, you know, being like, listen, guys, this is my program now in this direction I'm driving. And I think he's done a great job of that. Yeah. And I, I think Michigan State did the right thing in bringing in another tough guy, um, because sometimes you see these coaching hires and they'll go from one thing to another. Um, but Dino was an all time tough guy, always kind of had a scowl on his face, you know, like never looked too happy. Um, and his team embodied that. They always had a scowl on their face. They never yeah. looked too happy. They were always salty. And then you follow that up with Mel, who I think is more energetic, but he's the same type of toughness and the same level of super intense about all the things that he believes it takes to win. Um, And the team has really taken on his personality and his energy. And from what they were a year ago, and he was hired late in the cycle last year, it was like February and they didn't have spring practice. And um, it was a, a weird year to now being what they are, where a lot of people, and I admit to this every time I talk about it, I had them finishing in the basement. They're way better than that. Um, That was something I was totally wrong on. But from where people expected them to be and where they were, frankly, a year ago to now um, is a hell of a job in coaching. He went out in the portal. He got some guys like the dude, the dude is, he's a legit coach. Like he is absolutely worth the money that they're paying him. Um, The other guy we absolutely should talk about is Kirk Ferentz. He's been around the conference for forever. He's, I mean, been around one place longer than anybody in the country has. Um, That was a program that was dealing with some, some, a reckoning in the locker room with culture and with the way that players thought they were being treated. And with, frankly, some of the things that the coaching staff admitted to doing um, that they understood in hindsight weren't the right things. They had to rally a locker room, bring them back together in a, a very strange year last year that also saw a social reckoning just in society. Um, yeah. And they got off to a terrible start. And then they went on a hell of a win streak that they've continued into this year. And yeah. in a lot of situations, they have been in control of their opponents, not necessarily domineering but in control of situations of opponents and of games um and i think that he deserves credit for being able to keep a locker room together and then build something last year and continue it into this year yeah i mean we always talk about iowa they're they're a cyclical program right and the only way that you can sustain that is if you do come around every three or four years and become somebody who can knock knock the best top team off in the conference and Iowa's always been able to do that and that doesn't that doesn't come from anywhere but the top you know what yep. I mean if, if if you don't have a guy at the top who understands that embraces it and puts a lot of time energy and effort into development of players and consistency as it pertains to expectations and culture you're never going to be able to do it um, and I think Kirk has just mastered that and to your point, um, you know, he knows who they are. He never puts them in situations where they can't be successful. And he focuses, I think, heavily on the development side of things with players yeah. because he's not going out and snagging five stars. You're not seeing four and five stars just flocking to Iowa. You know what I mean? But he does a great job of developing talent, 
putting them in situations to be successful and, and instilling confidence in them. And you see it. They just keep rolling around every year. Yeah, definitely developmental program. And he does, like you said, a great job every single year. Um, finally, I'm going to ask you for your midseason conference champ game prediction. So who's making it from the West? Who's making it in from the East? Uh, you know, right now, obviously, it's hard not to say Iowa from the West. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the East is so, so hard just because of what we touched on earlier. There's there's a buzzsaw coming the end of the month heading in through November. So I think Ohio State, as it sits with question marks at Penn State being, you know, is Cliff going to be healthy? Is he going to ever be back to 100% this year? Um. I think it's going to come down to can Ohio State keep developing offensively and doing what they've been doing the last few weeks. Um, and then, you know, I think Michigan and Michigan State are teams where if they come in and play well, can can both pull it off either. So it's going to come from one of those four. I, I know that's so yeah. – it's such an easy thing to say, and it's the obvious answer, but to me it's the right answer. So, yeah. I'm going Iowa. Um and then I'm going to be a homer on this one, but I'm going Ohio State. And I think this is going to happen in spite of their defense at times. Yeah. Um, Ohio State's defense has, has scored the football in four consecutive games off of pick sixes. So if you're a Buckeye fan, that probably gives you hope that they can continue to take steps. Um, they're still, in my mind, giving up far too many plays over their head. And that's always going to be an issue. And especially when you start to get to um, – you know, Penn State with Parker Washington, Jahan Dotson, and we talked about Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed from Michigan State. And um, I don't know if Michigan's got the over-your-head-all-the-time threat, but we've seen Samristil, who did a really good job of extending and catching a really tough ball in that game. Um, and uh, Cornelius Johnson has done a really good job stepping in for Ronnie Bell. Um, yeah. So – I think it'll be in spite of defense. I'm going Ohio State against Iowa, though, in that game. Yeah. Um, all right, let's wrap it up with our previews in this last segment. Um, I'm going to be completely honest, folks. This is not the greatest slate that we've ever been advertised in the Big Ten Conference. Um, we've got number 10, Michigan State, who's a three-and-a-half favorite. Over-under is uh, 52 in that game per our friends over at Bet River Sportsbook at Indiana. Uh, this is an 11 o'clock kick, FS1 if anybody's trying to watch that. Homecoming. Um, so biggest thing for me in this game would have to be Jack Tuttle playing quarterback for Indiana. He is a guy who's been out on the field before. He's got some experience. Obviously a very different player than Michael Penix Jr., and what you get in these bye weeks, if you have an offensive staff that is good, is an opportunity to sit down with the backup and ask him what he likes in the game plan. What are you comfortable with? What concepts do you like? You know, what 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 are you know what are the things that you think you're best at? And tailor it to that guy. Um, he is a serviceable serviceable backup, um, but I hate to disparage backups, but he's a backup quarterback, so. It's an opportunity right here for Michigan State, I think, to be more dominant than the three and a half. I agree. I think it's a great opportunity for them um, to continue to build upon what they've been doing. And, you know, you really look back at it in Penn State. The last time Indiana was on the field, if I remember correctly, the Penn State team was able to run for 205 yards. And that's something that they have not been able to do at all this year consistently. Now you have a great attack coming in with some burners on the outside. I think it's an opportunity for Michigan State to be just as explosive, if not more explosive than they were against Rutgers, because I think offensively Indiana might be able to bring a little bit more juice. Um, but I do think Michigan State has a chance to has a chance to to cover that and then so yeah, I think so. Um, it, it'll just be for them, I think it's about consistency at this point, just being on track yeah. all the time. Um, yeah, staying on schedule. Um, Rutgers favored by one at Northwestern. Um, I think that number is wrong as hell. I think Northwestern is so not good right now. Um, like very not good right now. Um, yeah. and I think Rutgers 
needs more credit than they're probably getting at this point because you look at the three-week stretch for them. It's Michigan, it's Ohio State, it's Michigan State. It's not reality. You know, yeah. that, what we, we saw in Rutgers in those three weeks, that ain't indicative of who they probably really are when they're playing normal competition. So I think they're going to blow that number out the water. Yeah, I think Rutgers, Rutgers is in a position now, and I kind of talked about it after the Ohio State game, like how are they going to respond to a, to a Michigan State coming up? And realistically speaking, I mean, it was, what, 20 to 13 going into halftime this week? So, I mean, it was – they were there. They were in it. They were yeah. close. But ultimately, Michigan State just had some guys that made some plays and, and separated. So, I think it's an opportunity for Rutgers to get back on track um, start feeling a little bit more confident moving forward and, and knowing that they survived that, that stretch right there. That's, you know, tough, tough stretch to survive, but they survived as best as they could. Now they got a chance to really go there and try to attack, attack being bowl eligible and, 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 and win some football games. So I agree with you. I think, I think they got a chance. I don't think Northwestern's done anything to really um, merit any type of credit or expectations up until this point. So I do like Rutgers in this one. Yeah, and that bowl eligibility point that you brought up, I think, is big. For Rutgers, it was huge for them to start the way that they did, um, going 3-0, and because you understood what the next stretch was going to be like for the next three games, where you got Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, where you're probably going to lose those games. But now they're 3-3, three and three, so that means that they have to steal three more on the back half of their schedule. And I truly think it starts with this week. They should win against Northwestern. I think they should blow that number out if they want to be bowl eligible. They're going to have to. The rest of their schedule after Northwestern, they got Illinois, which is a winnable game. Wisconsin, I can't believe I'm going to say, is a winnable game for Rutgers. Indiana Mm -hmm. has not looked good. They got Penn State, and then they got Maryland at the end. So the opportunities are out there, but you also want to give yourself a little bit of wiggle room just in case you end up dropping one that you shouldn't. They got to get this one against a team that I think that they're way better than right now. I agree. Um, All right, Nebraska – at Minnesota, Nebraska's two-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, so this is one of those games that I can't get a feel for. I think Nebraska has the edge. They're going to be more explosive, for sure, offensively. Um, and I like the way that their defense has played, just the energy and the intensity on that side of the football. Um, Minnesota's also going to be without their running back, Trey Potts, who was in the hospital Um, He had to stay back at Purdue. It's an undisclosed injury. I don't know what it is. PJ Flex not sharing that information. He's going to wait until Trey wants to share it before anybody gets to know that, which I totally respect. But he's out of the game plan. Obviously, Mo Ibrahim went out of the game plan in week one. So this is an offense that's really hampered because they haven't been able to throw the ball very well. Yeah. Uh, Nebraska should win this football game, right? We've seen Nebraska make state mistakes and, and lose in, in opportunities where they should. And also, P.J. Fleck is a master motivator, and he's probably going to go on this podcast and play the clip of me talking about how their offense isn't explosive enough, and then those guys are going to go out and have 300 yards passing just because he heard <laughs> me say it. But that, you get what I'm saying about P.J., yeah. though. I think he's, he's something that you can't discount just in terms of a leader and a motivator. I agree. Um I think the one thing you mentioned, it may have been last week. It was one of these weeks, though. Minnesota controls the football offensively. They do. They take their time. They, they, they try to win that battle every week, and that's a big battle, and that's going to only cut the opportunities that Nebraska is going to have down, right? And Nebraska, like you said, has hurt themselves a lot of times. So I think this is a game where if Nebraska wants to come in and do what they're expected to do, they need to take advantage of their opportunities because they may not get a ton of them. They cannot burn them with turnovers or stupid self-inflicting plays. But ultimately, I think that where both teams are, and I think you did a great job of, of explaining it, where both teams are, this is an incredible opportunity for Nebraska. And I think Minnesota's going to have to do something really special to win this game. Yeah, and Nebraska is another one of those teams where they're, they're trying to find their way through the east uh, or through the west, excuse me. Um, and they're trying to find their way to – uh, bowl eligibility as well. Yeah. You know, this is, they've lost some games that I feel like are, are real heartbreakers. They feel probably like they're a team that should be in a situation to play in the bowl, but they got to go out there and win the football games. I'm trying to pull up their schedule right now. Um, yeah. So what are they? Three and four right now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they got a. So they've got Minnesota, which we talked about as a winnable game. They got Purdue, yep. which is a winnable game. They're playing Ohio State, but the Buckeyes are traveling to Lincoln. So weird things happen there. Apparently, I've never played there. Uh, <laughs> Wisconsin's a game they should win, the way Wisconsin is right now. And then they got Iowa, and if they're building momentum, that's going to be Iowa's biggest test at the end of the year. I mean, yeah, that's it. So, but they they got to get three wins out of the remainder of their schedule, which I think that the games are out there, but this is another situation. If they, if they mess this up against Minnesota, I don't, I don't know what you want. I don't know what you want them to do, but that, that puts them in a bad situation. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. So they, they gotta, they gotta get the ones that they, that they could get. I think it's similar to Rutgers in this situation right now. They gotta, they gotta get the ones that they should get here moving forward. Yeah. All right. Um, we got Purdue at Iowa. Um, Iowa's a 12 and a half point favorite. This is a mid afternoon game. It's homecoming for Iowa. The stat to watch here is Kirk Ferentz is one and three versus Jeff Brom Purdue teams. Is this one of those ugly upsets? You know, you come off a big win like they had against Penn State, it is a letdown. One of those, you know, deflate the balloon type opportunities. Um, I think when you watch Purdue, if they can, if they can offensively again, as we go back to it, take care of the football. Right. Um, I think they, I think they have enough firepower on the offensive side of the ball to be able to score with Iowa. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think when you look at it, but. Ultimately, again, as we continue to talk about this with this Iowa team, I think it's going to come down to can that defense create some turnovers and put that offense in short field oper- in short field up, op- you know, short field opportunities, and they've been able to do it. So, you know, I, I heard you talking about it on the Big Ten this past week. It's like, you know, we sit there and we say like it's not sustainable, but it's been sustainable. So we'll every we'll, week, you know, let's just let's just see what happens and see how it plays out. But. Um, as it pertains to the opportunity for this to be a trap game, I think it, I think it definitely has that possibility. Will it play out that way? I'm not so sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Yeah. I, um, I got pretty good confidence in Iowa at this point that they're going to not do dumb things. I feel like as soon as I say that, like that's when the dumb things start to happen, but I just, I don't think that this team is, is going to, do a lot of things to hurt themselves um in the iowa has the biggest benefit out of anybody to me right now is they're not looking down their schedule saying okay in two weeks we have this team or in three weeks we have this team like they have nobody coming up that should be able to play in the same league as them so um i think they should be able to cruise in this one last game is army at wisconsin um this could be the shortest game of the college football season because Everybody run the ball. Yeah, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll say from I'm a, the defensive. I, I'm an Army homer, dude. I'm an Army homer. My uncle played at Army. I hope Army really? pulled something out of there. Some, something out of their you. tail. Yeah, my uncle played D-tackle at West Point. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Army homer. I hope they pull something out of their tail. It'd be funny to watch. You know, obviously I hate going against a Big Ten team. But. Yeah, so I don't know if I can, I can say that per my other contract. But um, yeah. Um, so as a defender, the option teams, they screw you, they screw you the week of, and they screw you the week after. Yeah. And and that's exactly what they do. Um, they're, they're going to be cutting at at your legs. So you got to make sure that you're staying up on your feet. It's sleight of hand, you know, they're playing trickeration with the ball. So if you're supposed to tackle the dive, tackle the dive, you tackle the quarterback, tackle the quarterback, tap the pitch, tackle the pitch, like just do your job. It doesn't matter. Tackle everybody, every play, and you've defended it, right? Um, but you got to stay on your feet to do that. And the reason I say it screws you for the week after is you devote all your time and resources into something that you're never going to see again. Um, nope. When you could have been playing more of a pro style or a spread offense that you can build upon the concepts. Um, so this is a good defense for Wisconsin. Um, their offense, I don't want to even get into they're the, the best run defense in the country by far. 
I'm sure Army will have something to say about that because all they do is run the football. But uh, it could be a really short game. I don't know how many people be mad about that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, yeah, let's, let's get it, burn it, burn, turn it, burn it. Let's get it going. Turn it, turn it, fourth, burn it. Fourth, fourth preseason game. You know, let's, let's get it going, boys. <laughs> Run the clock. Get out of here. <laughs> I love it. Well, that was another good one, my guy. Um, yeah, man. We'll have to catch up and do this again next week, I guess, huh? I know. I guess. I guess we got to do it. You know. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It's something that we hate. The both of us can't stand football yeah. and can't stand talking about it. Right. No. Well, all right, guys, this is the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of 12 Media Network, Season 1, Episode 8, presented by our partners at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Again, Joshua Perry, my guy Christian Hackenberg, and we will be back at you next week. Stay tuned.